Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ueda, and with me... Whoa, I'm... whoa, whoa. I'm your host? Yeah. We're all hosts. No, I'm the host. This is an equal thing. We are... It's a... It's a... I was going to say it's a three-way, but that's not what it is at all. <laughs> please, no. It's, it's please, a, no. It's a three musketeer situation. I'm your host, Ben Ueda, and with me, as always, my sidekick, Michael Montgomery. I'm growing less and less happy to be here. And with me, not as always, is my sister, Jessie. That's me. <laughs> For the first time, welcome. Round of applause. Thank Yay. you. Yay, applaud me. And we have a very special episode. This is the first time, or actually the second time, that we've done it all in the same place at the same time. We're actually, for a change, not talking to each other over Google Hangout and with some sort of voice recording software. We're all in the same place because we're all in Joshua Tree recording in person. And the reason Mr. Salamone isn't here is because, well, priorities, just had a baby. And I think he had a a boy. Yep. uh, Seven pounds, three ounces, let's say. Yeah. No idea. We bet. just made that up. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> healthy. Yeah. And I believe it's named Michael Benjamin uh, Salamone. Yeah, I think so. You might have had one of those flipped, but it was pretty close. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but congrats to Chris uh, in all seriousness. Uh, congrats to Chris and Dolores. Uh, yeah. Hope you guys are doing well and uh, looking forward to chatting with you soon. Yes. Go give him some love. Go send him a message. Everybody just go flood his inbox and make it completely unusable with congratulations. Yeah. You probably don't want to congratulate people just when they had a baby because they feel like it's an important thing so they'll feel obligated to send something back. But that's also the time when they're probably the most tired. So wait three days. Send him a congrats. Three days, they'll not be tired anymore. They'll be totally fine. That's what I hear. Like the first three days of having a baby. Yeah. And then it's all smooth sailing from there. Big time. Yep. Yeah. Parenthood. (laughs) Um, So what are you guys working on? Mike, you go first. Yeah. So I just got down to Joshua Tree this week. I think it was Sunday, right? Maybe Monday. Yeah. How how was the bus drive? Surprisingly well. I, I realized it can't be that tough because it's made for people that they just kind of like hire to be bus drivers. So it's not like, you don't need a CDL to get hired as yeah, a bus shout driver. Shout out to all the bus drivers. Exactly. Um, yeah, that wasn't a knock. It was just kind yeah, of like a, just a little, an observation. a little shade. Yeah, just saying compliment. like, you know, it's not driving a semi. It's a little bit simpler. And so once I got used to sitting in front of the wheels and having to, like, go into an intersection really far before I turned, uh, once I had that down, everything was pretty smooth sailing. And it was just a long drive. I had a nice cold night at a Petro truck stop. Along with a bunch of other loud semis. and I've totally been there. You've been there? <laughs> yeah, in the Prius, but yeah. <laughs> Amongst the semis. So you drove yeah. straight? like I drove, uh, I slept for three hours, four hours, one night, uh, right outside of Flagstaff. I hit a snowstorm. I would have been able to make it all in one trip, but it took me four hours to get what it would have taken to get one, and I would have arrived at three in the morning, and I don't think anyone would have been excited about that. No, we would have made do. We would Kind of used to working around the clock. Probably would have let you in. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, so I got here. We're all moving into the rent house that we're staying at before we get everything finished out on the property. And we realized that there's no furniture. So step one is to build tables, build beds, uh, and everything that we need to make a house livable. So I'm working on the dining table first. It'll be built out of mostly two by fours and some flat steel bar. It'll be the dining table and two matching benches that will all kind of nest together, uh, be a great space saver, and also be able to hold a lot of people when everything is expanded. And you also just got a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. That was a really cold ride back. (laughs) (laughs) I told you. I was like, dude, do you have a jacket? He's like, you're like, I got a flannel. I'm like, all right. (laughs) I know it's California and it's warm, but motorcycles air moving that fast it gets surprisingly cold pretty quick yeah that's that's the one thing i've realized about california is one the weather is beautiful but it's awesome having all of these creative people kind of in one relatively small space being la is you have a guy that literally all he does is vintage bmw motorcycle restorations like there's not a lot of markets in the u.s that kind of allow somebody to be that centralized and that focused Um, And I appreciate LA for that because I picked up a really cool bike. It's a 1978 BMW R100. Great year. Great year. Yeah. (laughs) Great vintage year. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, God. I can't believe that motorcycle is as old as I am. Yeah. It looks way better than you do. Yeah, it's aged better. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But yeah, it drove drove great. It was the 
the guy that owns this shop, it was his personal bike for a couple years, and so it was pretty well maintained, and he got to do a little bit of a customization. It's a little cafe racer, but not all the way, which I appreciate. I don't want It's a little that's... beefier than a cafe racer. Exactly, yeah. It's not, the handlebars aren't lowered. It's got a cool kind of cafe racer style seat, but it's all kind of just it's a, a little bit... more rugged. Yeah, it's the cafe lifter that lifts. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, what are you working on, Jesse? Oh. Yeah. yeah. I looked at Ben, but I said to you. I think you just called Ben Jesse accidentally. It happens sometimes. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, as, uh, as you were saying, the house totally empty. We're building furniture. I, of course, am making the most useful thing that every house needs, which is an outdoor projector screen. Necess necessary. Yes, yes. So, uh, so Ben actually got me this really great little projector. It's very small, very highly portable, I would say. And uh, you can actually plug your phone into it too, which is really Oh, you can cool. do phone too? You can do phone. Oh. And, uh, but yeah, hooked it up to the computer. It works great. And so um, that's, that's my project is just find a spot in the desert, throw up a projector screen and uh, watch a movie. What's the plan for seating? You can sit in the dirt. Oh, great. I think there's a nice little... There's a lot of boulders. Yeah, there's a lot of boulders around. Just pull up some sand. Um, well, we were actually talking about a lot of different kind of chair de designs, little loungy chairs. So I think that hasn't been totally nailed down yet, but we'll get there. Cool. I, I have I have faith. I do too. Ben, it, your turn. Well, yeah, I think the I think what we're all sort of speaking to is this idea of a blank slate. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is that I hadn't really thought about this until we got here, but so we're going to start, you know, we're starting construction on the tiny house on the 10 acres of property that I bought in Joshua Tree. But since there's no house on the site and we're still getting the water meter installed, uh, it'd be kind of rough to camp and build at the same time and store all your tools. Like there would just be no security, nothing. So we rented a, you know, three bedroom, two bathroom house on a pretty decent sized yard, about Probably half about, an acre. Yeah, about half, three quarters of an acre, right. I'd say. So also in the town, it's just a few minutes away from the property. Um, and, but, you know, because we look, I considered Airbnbs, but Airbnbs are paying a high price per night. And so I just rented a, a whole house and the house is empty. So for most people, I think that would be inconvenient for three people that make a lot of furniture for YouTube videos. It's actually, <laughs> it's kind of an opportunity. So yeah. first thing we did, ordered a whole bunch of Casper mattresses. Um, those got here really fast. Shout out to Casper, not a sponsor of this episode, but in general, awesome service. Great mattresses. Great mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're pretty much building all the furniture and stuff in the house. Yeah, we got a lot of two by fours, <laughs> so many two by fours. So you're gonna see even in the lead up to the tiny house build, a whole bunch of furniture build projects. In particular, the one I'm working on right now is a tiny kitchen. And I want it to work both indoors and out. So we're gonna be on the job site a lot and it doesn't make sense to pack everybody up for lunch. So I want to build like a kitchen that you could fit in the back of a truck, fold out and like make a quick lunch for like a team of like five or six people. Mm -hmm. So I built the, the base around these really cool metal sawhorses that I've used for a few other projects, uh, most notably the conference table that I did for that startup. And then I, it, so it's, it's a cool little mini kitchen. It's about two feet wide and about six feet long. It has a sink, uh, it has like a hot plate or a propane uh, stove that sort of plugs into it. And uh, we just finished testing it tonight and we actually cooked uh, a Blue Apron meal on it and it worked surprisingly well. Really well. Um, so check out for that. I, I think it's a really fun project. It's different than a lot of things that I would do. It'd be super useful if you like, if you're kind of in a live work situation and you want to move into a big warehouse, but oh wait, I still need to eat and occasionally do something. It's for something in a, that you could build for about 150, 200 bucks, and you could have a kitchen with a sink, plumbing. Yeah, totally off grid too, because cooking the, the sink itself, the pump is a hand pump. Right. So. And the other thing that I'm uh, I'm designing it so that it can work with uh, either all electric if you're like indoors in like a warehouse but still need something a little bit more domestic, 
um, it could work uh, off the grid with propane or with, uh, I got these really cool new uh, electric generators that can be charged by solar from a company called Goal Zero. So I got the, the biggest Yeti version of that electric generator and it's, it's pretty kick-ass. And the Jesse actually got the smallest version, which is going to power the, the projector, right? Yep, powers the projector. It's about the size of a car battery, but looks way cooler. <laughs> yeah, and totally <laughs> self-contained. So it just yeah. has like USB ports, uh, regular 120 ports, and you can charge it either with a solar panel or right to the wall. So it's like super, super convenient. Yeah. So basically we're doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff and a little bit of like basic sort of indoor furniture uh, as well. So. We're all going to be making a lot of beds soon. Yeah. So <laughs> Everybody gets to make their own. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting dynamic. Having myself only filmed with myself and only built things myself for the most part. It's pretty cool being able to like... One, just get help from people when you need it. Jessie got a sunburn because I had her <laughs> grabbing my two by fours as I was running them through the table saw and I cut down, I think, how many? It was 30, 32? 32. Yeah, 37. way too many. However many it was, I felt really bad, especially the next day when her face was like beet red. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I will stare into the sun for you. It's okay. Awesome. But on the other hand, it's awesome having the staging wall that we just built, which was. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So one of the things that we did is we moved into a house that's a really not attractive shade of beige orange. Yeah. Imagine it was, you put beige paint on the walls, but then smoked in the house for 40 years on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually a perfect Yeah. It's, a, it, it's an unfortunate color. and uh, Just unfortunate that it never yeah. existed. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> it, it's like pumpkin that's been left in the sun and like lost its saturation and been sun bleached. There you go. I can it's, see it. It's like the color of like a crappy van from the 80s. Yeah, exactly. It's the van all your parents warned you about. But yeah. without the charm. This is less charming than that right. van. And no, no charming wolf portrait on the no. back no. of the tire. <laughs> no airbrushes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the interesting scenario is we're we're renters yeah and so i haven't been uh living in a place that i've rented in a long time so suddenly you have to be like wait you can't just do whatever you want to the building for the sake of your youtube videos <laughs> so one of the things that we need a lot as content creators is a nice blank backdrop for both still photo shoots of our finished uh projects and also to film some demos and stuff like that against so we came up with a pretty cool way to not damage the house, but to put up a, uh, a complete white blank wall that's 16 feet long and 8 feet high. Mm -hmm. And it goes right up against the existing wall. So we're actually going to make a YouTube video of this, not for our channels, but for the Modern Maker Podcast YouTube channel. And I think this is something that all you YouTubers and content creators of any genre should really check out because... We showed with just a few sheets of drywall and some two by fours how to do a minimal sort of tie into the existing wall, but get a nice clean uh, surface. Yeah, it's like the sacrificial wall. You don't feel bad making holes in it. Right. Exactly. And uh, you don't make holes in the original wall, which exactly. is what's important. Yeah. <laughs> but even outside of content creation, I think it would be killer. Even if you're building furniture to sell or like designing products that you're selling. A food blogger, anyone that exactly. needs to produce still content or yes. something like that. Just having something where your piece can be highlighted and the wall is not distracting. Yes. And the floor is going to be really cool too. So it, the house has dark floors. Uh, they're just laminate. They're not they're, bad. They're not bad. They're like a walnut laminate floor. Yeah. And so they're going to be great for some pictures, uh, for some projects because... But a little bit dark for others. Right. Exactly. Some projects look good with dark floors. Some look good with white light floors. And so we're going to also get some light floors that we can lay down, but not permanently attach them in any way so that... Load it on top. Exactly. So when there's that project that uses light floors, great. We've got it. When we want something with dark floors, we just slide that on the other side of the room and then film it or picture whatever we need to take. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting having only people that produce content in the house. Mm -hmm. So everything is centered around that idea and domesticity is almost second. So it's a weird mix of like a college frat house 
And then also there's like really nice stuff because we had to get cool stuff for staging. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this weird like combination of things that look really, really nice that are super well organized and going to be picture perfect. Yep. And then things were just like, yeah, don't care. Doesn't yeah. matter. It's like, should we open these mattresses yet? No, let's wait until we have a clean staging wall, just in case. Just it's so like, we can unbox them. Exactly. So, yeah, let's not have mattresses for a couple days. Exactly. Or or, or uh, recording a podcast where you're sitting on a camp chair, Ben's sitting on a step stool, and I'm on a shop stool. Surrounded by <laughs> mattress toppers mattress to kill some of the foam. echo. So. Yeah, so because the house is unfurnished, everything's very echoey, so forgive us uh, for the sound quality. We're just getting set set up yeah and it's gonna get better if, if the more we record here it'll get but better. we did just slap uh those like egg crate type foam things that are for, like mattress pads we have those uh stapled to the walls right now to yeah. well not stapled we use those squeezy clamps we screwed squeezy clamps to the wall <laughs> and then clamped the mattress toppers with those and so it looks really classy in fact <laughs> that's gonna also be on the modern maker instagram as well yeah we'll take a picture <laughs> It works. It works pretty well, though. Like this room, I mean, it's still compared echoey, to the rest but, of the house. Oh my gosh, it, it makes a huge difference. Exactly. Yeah. We. Yeah. There's no carpet, so that doesn't help. But yeah, no carpet, no furniture. Yeah, that's step one. We should just lay shag carpet throughout the entire house. Oh my gosh. Area totally rugs. Should. Area rugs yeah, are better. Yeah. Maybe shag some... carpet area rugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you're gonna do shag carpeting, you probably don't want to do it all the way. So it's like, yeah. Nobody yeah, wants to do shag carpeting. It just exists in houses. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We've also made some new friends because apparently the backyard has several very adorable rodents yes. living in it. So we have a bunny named Henry. Oh, is that his oh. name? Yeah. Awesome. Oh. I named him Henry. Okay. I like that. Yeah, that's a good And then uh, we have... A chipmunk that uh, I have named him Gary. Yeah, and shout out Dad if you're listening. That's your name too. She didn't know about it, but... It just worked out. It worked it out. It just worked out it that worked way. Out. <laughs> it's a good-looking chipmunk. There we go. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. But yeah, they're so cute. Just watching them eat, man. We keep feeding them bread, and they really like it. They're getting closer and closer. Also, they uh, won't eat the kale. No, but Henry had some apple cores today, and he was pretty stoked. That's good. He, yeah. he should get a balanced diet. Yeah. 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 He should, there's no Blue Apron for. Uh, <laughs> That's us. We are the Blue Apron. We deliver. So yeah, hopefully we get them fully domesticated and eating out of our hand by the time we leave. Yes. So what's interesting about this situation is that it's a collaboration, meaning we're going to be showing up in each other's videos. Yeah. But normally with collabs, it's normally somebody sort of hosting and the other person's going to them, like what you did with Johnny Brooke. Yep. Um, in this case, we're kind of all out of our normal environment. Yes, I'm from California, but you know I've never lived in Joshua Tree. I visited. So... It's kind of interesting that we're all sort of outside of our element. We have all this empty space in the place that we're actually living. And there's kind of, it's, it's, it's been super productive because we're all kind of, everyone around us is all focused on the same thing. There's very little distractions. Everyone around us is handy at doing both the production side of what we do and the making side of what we do. Everyone's conscious of not stepping into each other's cameras. Yes. Well, yeah. That's, <laughs> Taking that's the long really way around. Most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we're all anticipating uh, projects that are bigger than what we've ever taken on. Definitely. And so there's also a lot of the sort of research phase. And, you know, you know, today I was talking to you about sort of metalworking stuff. Not that either one of us is an expert in it, but we both may have covered a few things that the other person has and, you know, in ordering tools and stuff like that. Uh, that that was super super useful, but on the production side, I think that's where we're going to be learning a lot because we're sort of it's one thing to sort of talk about it, but when you actually see how somebody edits something or the equipment they use or the settings that they uh, sort of put together, you get sort of a, a level of comprehension that's hard to do over a just a Google Hangout conversation. Well, I thought it was interesting to find out that Mike edits his videos as he goes. I did not realize that. Yeah, it's just, it's chunking. That's what that's called, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just breaking up what would take eight hours into a couple two-hour sessions. And that way you also know the pickup shots that you need that you forgot to film the day before, you can get the next day. And so whenever you're trying to do your final edit, you don't have to worry about going and filming again, which always is kind of a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great idea and something that, for, like, it seems really obvious now, but I never thought of it. 
Yeah, it was also cool. Uh, I was working on the 3D model of the dining table I was working on today. I just got that finished tonight, and the, and the table itself will probably be done tomorrow. And amongst the three of us, we realized it needed a little bit of design alteration, which is awesome. In hindsight, that would have been terrible to find out after I had already done the table, put it together, and realized there was something wrong about it. But to have other people here that are going to catch the mistake that you would have made on your own uh, and kind of just like talk through it, work through it, and figure out the best solution is really cool. It's kind of like the spell check for design. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. So what was the, you know, why don't you just sort of recap what the design changes were? Yeah, so the, the idea is I want to make a dining table where the benches can sort of nest into the table itself so that the, the nook that it all sets into can be... You know, it can be, the table can be expanded, it can take up the space and people can sit there. But if we want it out of the way, if there's a lot of project materials coming in and out, or we're trying to move uh, projects themselves in for staging and photos, I want to be able to tuck that into the corner and get it completely out of the way. And what I realized, it, so the, the table itself is a bunch of 2x4s slabbed up to make some big tabletops and bench tops. And I'm using flat steel bar to make the base. I'm making some simple square frame legs. And initially, my idea was to inset those legs 12 inches from each end, on the table and on, and on the benches. Wow, I said that weird. And <laughs> on the benches. And what I found out is, well, one, if the benches and the table are the same length, and there's a base in the way, there's no way to slide the benches under the table, which is, one, just comfortable for sitting and eating, but other than that, how are you going to get the benches underneath to store them as well? And so we came to the solution of one, instead of insetting the legs so far into the table, it makes sense to, instead of have them 12 inches inset, inset them about six inches. Because you were saying about people eating on the end of the table. That was a really good point. Go over that. Yeah. So I think one of the, people think of tables as so simple, right? Like it's a platform with legs and they get really creative with how they make the legs, but there's actually... It's a pretty rigid uh, set of proportions that sort of make a table functional, especially if you want to maximize the amount of people that can use the surface area of the table. Right. The tables need to be set in a little bit, or the legs of the table need to be set in a little bit. They need to not bump the knees of the person that's sitting at the end of the, at the head or foot of the table, but then also still maximize the amount of people that can sit along the sides. And I think one of the mistakes that people make is when they think of a bench, they think of something that's the same. I think it's really natural to think, oh, the bench for the table should be the same length as the table. But no one's going to sit at the exact end of the bench. That's just foot real estate, right? Or Especially if there's people at the head and foot of the table yeah. as well, because right. now you've got three, comp three people competing for one spot. Right. And if, and if you were sitting at the direct end of the bench and your plate was in front of you, there would be no tabletop to your left to sort of hold silverware or your cup or whatever the Emily Post correct way of laying out a table, setting a table is. Yeah. So it's one of those things that like... Uh, yeah, it, it's sort of counterintuitive, even though you see them all the time. Um, so yeah, we spread out the legs of the table so that they're a little closer to the ends, and then chopped off the benches. I realized what I said there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we moved the legs further towards the edge of the table, and chopped off the ends of the bench, so that now the bench is going to be just as long as the inside uh, length of the two legs on the table. Yes. And so everything can slide in there. A couple stools or a couple chairs, which could, once again, be a cool project. Mm -hmm. I build, you guys build, who knows? And so we have seating for the heads and the foot of the table, and now plenty of room for three people to sit on each side. So how are you going to do the metal? You're going to sort of have this metal band that goes around the slab of wood. Are you going to bend that, or is it all going to be cut and then welded corners, or what are you thinking? That's the plan. I want to do... A totally square base. The, I want it to kind of mimic the squareness of the top. I want it to all just be very geometric, no curves, just very square and right angles. So I've got flat bar steel for the table. It's going to be four inches wide. For the benches, it's going to be three inches wide. And it's all quarter, quarter inch thick stock. So it's going to have plenty of like strength and rigidity to it, but it's going to look really light as well. Compared to a wood frame, it's going to look really, really airy. And I think that's going to be really cool. So instead of just making these frames and then screwing them to the base or to the top i'm going to make i think it's a dado for all you woodworkers out there sorry uh, but i'm going to make a recess that is 
you know, the same thickness as the steel so that that steel can be flush with the wood on the edges as well as on the top so that when you run your hand over it or if you have a plate that needs to set on it, everything can sit flush, be really clean, and just look really sleek and modern. So for that, that top piece, is it going to be, you're going to cut four pieces of steel and then re-weld them or there's going to be no bending, correct? No bending, no. Yeah. Uh, I tried to bend steel a while back. Granted, it was, it was a fail and I probably didn't do my research going into it, so don't blame me for that, or blame me for that, don't blame steel. Uh, but we've got a, a good rigid cutoff saw that I'm going to use to cut all the pieces to length, weld them up square, and then I'll just make sure that the, on the tabletop, where those corners are that the base meets the tabletop, I'll just round those over so that the weld can be thick on the inside of the frame because no one's ever going to see it. Um, and it'll have plenty of room for clearance on those corners. Awesome. I'm excited because gonna, we're going to be all doing a lot of welding soon. And yeah. none of us are super no. <laughs> good at it. No, no, so no. Yeah. it'll be nice all learning together. I'm actually going to pick up a stick welder soon since... Uh, it's funny, like stick welding is like the welding like no one I know really does. Like everyone's either like, like the really cool people are all doing like TIG uh, and then like the more DIY people like us are doing like MIG stuff Yeah. With, without gas, just the, the flux core stuff. Yeah, it seems to be the very plug and play yeah. route. You know, since I'm going to be doing a lot of outdoor welding on the shipping container, you know, sanding off paint and I, I think with the stick you don't really need to sand off that paint. Correct me if I'm wrong there, internet people. I don't think so. Me and Johnny made a video titled Intro to Welding for Woodworkers because he knows more about welding than I do, and so I was going to take advantage of that. And so we made a video for my second channel. It's somewhere around 20, 25 minutes long, but it kind of goes into the basics of uh, if you're interested in welding and you have a background in DIY projects or woodworking and you're interested in making a table base or maybe a bench base, uh, it's kind of the 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 starter's guide. So it tells you the difference between stick, MIG, and TIG. Kind of talks about the materials that you would kind of commonly use in terms of just like what type of steel in general, but also the lower threshold and the higher threshold for thicknesses that you would want to use for each type of machine. And then just some common finishes and, and the kind of abrasives and cutoff discs and what you would use for when. And that's on my second channel. So if you guys haven't watched that, Go check that out. But yeah, I will and check that out. Yeah, really and so from that. from Johnny, what I learned is stick welding is really good for structural stuff because you can get a lot of material welded really fast. It's a really high volume kind of rig, and so I think that'll be great for the for the shipping containers. Uh, what from what I understand is stick welding is a little bit messy, and so for furniture bases that might be a little overkill. Uh, and that's why people like MIG and, and TIG a lot. TIG especially because you can really get a super smooth, clean weld that you don't even need to grind really. Uh, but stick welding is great for any kind of building, structural stuff, cars. I think that's, and trailers, that's what people use a lot for that, I think. so. T TIG lost me when you have to coordinate moving your hands and feet at the same time. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like driving pedal. stick shift, which Ben is not good at. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I totally got this, guys. Yeah, so you're going to be TIG welding the shipping containers together? Stick. Stick welding, exactly. So uh, there's a lot of reinforcement that needs to happen in them. Uh, because we're removing big panels of the corrugation in order to put in really large uh, folding glass doors, um, we need to sort of add reinforcement plates both in between some of the corrugations uh, and also add additional sort of structural members. So that'll be done outside, it'll be windy, you know, so. Uh, in the elements. Yeah, and it, the, the desert out here, it's, it's been nice so far, but it's also a pretty harsh climate. It gets really windy at night. It's pretty cool at night, but like reasonably warm during the day. Yeah, and talking to the locals, it's given us a pretty, outside of just the deadlines that we have in general, in terms of when the heat wave comes. Yeah, we don't want to be out there building, exactly, especially yeah. welding. So outside of just the normal deadlines of sponsors and, and just general kind of keeping content creation going, the weather is also a very driving factor. Yeah, it's like it, the opposite of Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. summer is coming. <laughs> summer is coming, and you do not want to be outside. Right, because I've seen some of the locals, and they got this kind of, like, beef jerky kind of look to their faces sometimes. So Sometimes. Uh, not everyone. So And those are just the people that are, like, you know, 25. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah people are, are a little weathered. Super nice. Like, Joshua Tree, for anyone that's never been there, is it's kind of a trip. 
It is. It's just two hours from L.A. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's really scenic. There's this beautiful national park, which I it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, but it's this mix of kind of like self-sufficient kind of, you know, kind of locals. Artistic. And then there's really artsy people. Yeah. And then there's, you know, just the other night we met... Uh, we met some really cool people that also do YouTube yep. that travel around and live out of the van and do sort of like travel blogging. Uh, shout out to Dylan uh, Magister. Yep. We'll uh, have him linked in the description of the episode. Yeah. So Dylan Magister, awesome guy. He built out this really cool van and just travels around and makes these really awesome YouTube videos. Uh, yeah. He basically goes around and profiles other people that do what he does. Right. So he'll go around, profile the people themselves, kind of why they decided to live in a van and travel the world and also it gets the chance to kind of go over the rig how they built it what's cool about it and what's unique i was thinking about the whole time we were talking to him because the you ever seen the chris farley skit on snl yes. <laughs> down, down by the river right, which is probably like in my mount rushmore of saturday night live it's skits. probably yeah, yeah it's top top right. ten. <laughs> like, in my mind. like even david spade in it is like crack is busting up and can't can't contain it yeah but it's funny that it's gone from this sort of van life thing uh, and i guess it's sort of related to what you're gonna be doing with the school bus exactly yeah it was a lot of cool inspiration talking to him for sure it's gone from this kind of like it's the punchline like living in a van down by the river to being like living in a van especially even the down by the river part like that's even the cool part that's like populating really popular instagram feeds with these sort of young people living sort of carefree, traveling around, doing your own thing, producing yep. content. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but like, the, the juxtap- it takes like 30 years for that to become right. an insult to now it's aspirational. It's the thing everyone wants to do is, I could live in a van. Oh, and I could park it down by the river and wake up by so the amazing. river. And- Isn't that funny? It's, like, yeah. it's kind of like how lobster used to be prison food. Yeah. And now it's expensive. Yeah. It all comes full circle. Full so, circle. What's, what's like the cheap thing we're knocking now that could end up being awesome? Ooh, that's a really good question. All right, no one's going to answer this. Let's move on. <laughs> we like expensive things, but, apparently. <laughs> but if you, the listener, has an idea, hit us up on Instagram. Mike is still thinking. I, I, I can see his thinking face. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. I was, thinking, I was thinking something that's like very resource heavy, but... Maybe we'll, that's what's going to make it scarce or expensive in the future. Mm. I think it's kind of like 8-bit graphic kind of things. Mm. Like, uh, at the time, like, that was, like, it went from being, like, the peak of, you know, like, the original Nintendo was, like, super awesome Mm -hmm. before you were born when I was playing video games. But then it, like, quickly got eclipsed by much better graphics, Super Nintendo, and on and on and on. But now it's, like, you're seeing a lot of, like, sort of, graphic design stuff that's kind of looking like 8-bit graphic or people even making projects that are reminiscent of that kind of Lego pixelated looking thing. I play a game on my phone that the fight scenes are all 8-bit and it's amazing. Yeah. So maybe it's kind of, granted, this isn't the future, this is now, but the way guitar like, or boutique guitar amps and guitar makers are, Mm. they're making these very classic tube amps that in 1995 would have been whacked because solid state amps came, they're more durable, you can you can gig with them and the tubes won't break and everything like that. But now people are like, but it has a warmer tone mm. and it's cooler and uh, and just has a just overall has a nicer sound. And so you've got all of these boutique companies that are building custom amps that probably thirty years ago would have been outdated because something new has come along. You know it's funny, it's like you actually have a music background but you've never done like a guitar project, right, or anything like I that. I built a guitar out of two by fours. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, the the that was part of our two two by four challenge. Mm. Yeah, come on, man. What is that? I should start watching your project. <laughs> yeah, you should watch my videos sometime. You might learn Wait, something. Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to do some kind of guitar project or some kind of. I think a pedal board would be a good one because I think a lot of people that play guitar they start buying pedals and then they realize that pedal boards are like one hundred fifty two hundred bucks. But really all they are is just either cheap MDF, like what a lot of producers make, or it's just like one by four slapped together. And it's about $10 worth of materials, and you're getting 150 bucks worth of value out of it. And it's 
you know, you could build it with a circular saw probably, so. You know, my electric violin doesn't have a pedal board, I'm just saying. Mm. Are, aren't you going to make an electric violin eventually? Yeah, I, I keep talking about it, but then I get really scared thinking about electronics. Are there kits for it? There or? are kits. I've, I've looked at a few of them, um, but I also don't know anything about electric violins. So I'm looking at them going, I don't know which one is the right one or which one is better. Or... The cool thing about a violin, though, is you don't have to worry about frets. So that's really nice. That's what's been holding me back from wanting to build a guitar is... What's the fret? So that is, so on, on the neck of a guitar, where people push down the strings, uh, you've got these little raised pieces of metal that are set yeah, on yeah. increments. Basically, you hold it down in the middle of the fret, There's a little but it's reference. Yeah, exactly. But it's referencing that point where the string is making contact, mm. so that everything's in tune and whatnot. But with yeah. like a lot of classical instruments, they're fretless. Yeah, which means you probably have to be a little bit better of a musician. Well, with violins, or actually with all the um, chamber orchestra stringed instruments, there are, as you said, no frets. So yeah. when you first start, your teacher will put. Um, colored tape where your fingers are supposed to go and oh. so you just mimic that until you have muscle memory cool okay yeah. but regardless that's what's held me back is i know i'm going to cut one of them a little bit too short so every time i hit that fret fifth fret it's it's like instead of ball it's like oh it's so bad too yeah. if you've ever played a really terrible guitar where the frets are not aligned it's, yep. it's a horrible sound exactly so not big on failure projects so. <laughs> So yeah, what's, ooh, there we go. Biggest fail project. Anybody? Uh, I tried to make a modern picnic table one time, <laughs> and then I just realized. But then you talked about it enough on the podcast that it got an average amount of views, so yeah. it's a wash. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, there's, there's been so many. I would say, like, uh, you know, concrete ones in general can be a little bit tricky. Yeah. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of concrete ones have been, not so much that they, they didn't come out exactly the way I wanted them to, uh, but I think the thing with it, when it does fail, the thing that's really annoying about it is that it's such a big, heavy mess. <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah. it's not that like concrete is so unpredictable that it's it's, it's going to be a higher rate of failure, and it's not it's not that big of a deal because concrete's a really cheap raw material. Yep. But it's just the the insult to the injury. And the time okay. investment, because right. you usually let it cure in the form overnight or at least 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's having to lug away 180 pounds of failure. It's <laughs> <laughs> particularly brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it really hits at home. Totally, totally. But I'd say it's, it's not so much about failures. I would say I have a lot of product, projects that I start and I just keep backburnering until I figure something out. Mm. And so... It might not be a failure in terms of the the project, but it might be a failure in terms of not taking the time to sort of think through things uh, mm -hmm. or not writing the sort of emotion of excitement about an idea, which is which is mostly positive, but not tempering that excitement with a little bit of research. Right. Just letting that idea get fully formed before you start building right. or before you get to that process where failure normally happens. Yeah. I have three of those left in Boston right now. Well, which ones? Uh, the piano. The, uh, yeah, Ooh, the, the, you're building a piano? No. Oh, okay. um, I have a very nice electric keyboard. You're welcome. <laughs> that someone gave me. Mm. <laughs> we won't say who. Um, and I was going to make a... Um, a base for it and yeah. then have uh it actually would have a lid that closed over the entire keyboard so you could use it as a desktop but my idea is i kind of wanted it to look like a roll top but not actually roll up but to look like that layered plywood and that's a really functional idea it's great but my my design that i almost finished before i started building was to have it really like the piano really nests into it and that was just so difficult to figure out how to do right. and and so I cut an entire sheet of plywood into all these tiny strips and then decided I didn't like the way it looked and then I drove to California the next day so, <laughs> so leaving that problem behind so by the time I get back to Boston I will completely have forgotten everything about it so cool yeah so that's more of like a, a challenge in estimation right yes, yes. it's like don't start a project when you only have a short amount of time uh, that's going to be a level of complexity that is not, that's going to be pushing it. I mean, I, I've been struggling with this uh, a lot this year, so it's been 
fewer projects, but bigger projects. But these big projects all have deadlines. Intense so, deadlines. Too. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I've been like nonstop, which means that a lot of like small projects that I had sort of like purchased ingredients for or sort of equipment to build around. Ingredients? Ingredients. So <laughs> I don't really know, because like, right, like if you buy like something like a keyboard that you're going to use as the sort of cornerstone or the focal point of a project, it's not really a material. Yeah, that's true. It is. It's an ingredient. It's an ingredient. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Right. I'll take uh, it. So, yeah, it's 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 tricky. I hate that sort of having all these half-started projects around. But then also, I know that if I get too disciplined, I'll start shutting down ideas. That so it's like it's it's a balance. So the the way I sort of look at it is, don't kill yourself or beat yourself up for having a few unfinished projects. But if it hits a certain threshold where you start to, you know, you don't have any storage space, so you can't even finish anything because your shop or workspace is completely full of like things that you have a sort of idea about. Well, then you need to purge back and, and get rid of some stuff. But so, yeah, it, it's, it's a fine line between not over planning, because then I think you all, it makes you move slower and you lose that spontaneity. Right, but also not being so flaky that you're didn't like becoming a hoarder because you have a bunch of half finished stuff. Okay, I am both those things. So no, I, I I have I have some find the cleaning house to do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, you guys obsessed with anything? Lots of things. So right now I'm really interested in scaffolding. Uh, I need scaffolding for the the tiny house project. Really quick before you even go, kudos to Home Depot and Joshua Tree. They've got some really interesting materials to choose from. Which, I would love to get some feedback on this. I'm sorry I cut you off. I no. just, it's a good lead-in, I think. Um, so, where I'm from, and, I, and from what I gather where you guys are from, the biggest materials you can get is a 4x4 four four when it comes to construction lumber. And not only do they have 4x4s, four they've got 4x6s, 4x8s, 6x6s, and 8x8s. So, number one, we're kind of baking up the idea of some kind of micro-cabin challenge between Ben and I. And so I'm definitely going to figure out how I can incorporate some of those, those materials into it because I think having some kind of regional, regional material involved You're going to make a log cabin out of 8x8s? Eight eight. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> Don't take my idea. You no, have to turn them it. on the lathe first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's hairy. That is hairy. Um, so yeah, if anybody has any cool ideas that we can use these big, I'm going to call them timbers because that's basically what they are. Yeah. But these giant pieces of wood we can use. I, I want to hear them. So... But, yeah, it, it's something I've talked about before, but there are regional differences yeah. even in big box stores. Mm -hmm. So the Home Depots I go to in Boston do not have 4x8s, 4x6s, or 6x6s. A lot of the ones in California that I go to do. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is kind of fun to, to check out the different ones. And even the species amongst them too. The, the other thing that's really different is I've been buying the same, so I bought a whole bunch of this one type of plywood. Uh, it's called the radiata plywood. Yeah. It's like a pine plywood. And I had been buying it in Santa Barbara and it was like 32 to $34 mm -hmm. a sheet. The exact same plywood here in Joshua Tree is $25 a sheet. Yeah, that made me really want to do some plywood projects because it's about the same price where I'm from too. And it, it's why I never put, like, it's one of the most common questions I get. Why don't you put how much everything costs? Oh, yeah. Because it's not the same. <laughs> it's different everywhere. <laughs> I, and I first discovered this. When I first did projects, I would put the price on, on things. I figured, oh, if I bought it at Home Depot, Home Depot is like a big chain. It's the same prices everywhere. No, no, no. Not with commodities. Uh, with, like, pipes, like iron pipe fittings, it was like a factor of double. Like the same pipe flanges that I was getting in one place for like three fifty were like six dollars or seven dollars in other parts of the country. Even the materials for the the dining table, the metal for that, and the metal that you're going to be using on the shipping container. Whenever I talked to the guy at the still yard after he gave me the price, I said, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's just the price." And I'm like, "Oh wow." Was it was it because they're worried about some tariffs? That somebody might have put <laughs> I don't in. think so. I just think metal's a lot more expensive out here than where I'm from. I like was maybe just kind of like surprised. 20% more expensive? I don't know what you're getting at. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, but back to what I was obsessed, out, obsessed about. Sorry, we're, we're, it's a all, good segue. we're all a few <laughs> modellos deep uh, in the evening. Yeah. Um, but back to obsessions, scaffolding. Yeah. <laughs> before we yeah, get to scaffolding. Back to the, yeah, sorry about that. So. One, I need scaffolding for 
the, the upcoming projects, but also uh, I've always thought that scaffolding would be like awesome for making a loft bed. So we're working on a project where I bought a whole bunch of scaffolding. I'm learning all about the different components of how it fits together. It's actually incredibly efficient, super strong, lightweight. One person can set up something that would be like an elevated loft bed and uh, yeah, be looking for some clever conversions of scaffolding in the near future. Yeah, that was a good example. That was like a good case study of what you were talking about, of having room to be spontaneous, or to be spontaneous, but not rushing your idea so much that you miss out on an idea you could have had if you kind yeah. of ruminated on it a little while. So the scaffolding was sitting in the, the garage for two days before yeah. you had the idea of how you can kind of modify it a little bit to make it way more useful. And had you just slapped it all together, probably wouldn't have been as good of a video long term. Nope. Jesse, what are you obsessed with? Uh, right now, I have a very big obsession, and that is with my work pants. Ooh. Oh. So I have Carhartt work leggings. Yes, that's right. They are leggings that you can build things in. They're basically like really heavy-duty yoga pants, which is kind of awesome because I mostly sit on whatever I'm working with. I clamp it with my feet. I wrap myself around it to hold all the pieces together. And I can do that. And my, my pants move with me, which is really nice. <laughs> my pants, <laughs> my pants move with me. My jeans, not so much. Um, but yeah, it's actually really hard to find um, good work clothes, apparel, gear for, for people of my size and my shape, which is apparently very odd because it's hard for me to find clothes. But uh, these work pants have been awesome, and I'm really it's excited about trying nice other stuff. It's also nice to see, but how can those be women's work pants if they're not pink? I oh, know! Yeah. They're black. <laughs> Thank you, Carhartt, for making black work pants. Do you want to air this grievance about... Uh, yeah, let's hear it. Oh, I, I really do. I have a big, <laughs> big problem with, um, with the availability of work clothes for, let's just say, curvier people. <laughs> Uh, because um, odds are they're going to be pink, sometimes purple, mm. or they have, you know, some sort of pink accent. No pink tools, people. Polka no dots, pink tools. Patterns. Nothing. Just make it simple. If you, if you make pants in black or beige for men, you do not have to make women's pants pink. Not all women like pink. So wait, you're saying as a woman you could use a tool belt that isn't and it would still work. I can use a tool belt that has not been bedazzled, yeah. believe it or not. Nice. Okay. But you know what? Like, I kind of think, you know, for men, it's the opposite. I feel like most workwear for men is made for curvy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've experienced that, man. Yeah. Uh, as, <laughs> as a relatively slender person, like, uh, whenever I've worked with sort of workwear clothing brands, yeah. I feel like a. I'm kind of swimming in, in even, some of them sometimes. Even kind of safety gear, you know? Yeah. Like whether it's yeah. safety glasses or, you know, welding gear, it seems to be very, very dad. You guys can borrow my leggings if you no. want. Well, I don't think that's what we were getting at. No. Yeah. Still. Oh, actually, also good point. Um, I just got a welding jacket mm. that actually fits me. Like the, the sleeves don't go past the ends of my fingers. It's a Lincoln Electric and it's made for women, so that is super awesome. Shout out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lincoln actually did Huge shout a out to Lincoln. Yeah, I got welding gloves that fit, a welding jacket that fits. Um, their, their safety glasses for women do have pink arm or, you know, frames. frames well, though, always so. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, so I'd say 99% yes. <laughs> Way to go, Lincoln. Awesome. What about you, Mike? Mine is a tool that I should have gotten a long time ago. <laughs> I can't believe that it's taken me this long. And it's just a handheld electric planer. A lot of people kind of in the industry use them for trimming doors and fitting them mm. into frames and, and, and construction. But I use uh, 2x4s all the time and 2x4s, 2x6s, everything comes with that rounded corner, which, fun fact, is to prevent fires. You're right. Yeah, that's a little thing I learned. Part You're of, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> The benefit of collaborating with other people. Other people have access to Wikipedia. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I want to re remove those rounded edges all the time because it just makes what looks like a cheap construction piece of material into a real piece of wood that you're supposed to use for furniture. And so normally if I'm gluing up a tabletop, I'll glue it up into sections and run that through the thickness planer. 
And I totally understand when people give me the comments, but I don't have one. I don't have a thickness planner because they're a few hundred bucks uh, to get a decent one. And that's kind of one of those tools that you grow into. The other option is to use the table saw and maybe trim off about, what do you say, about an eighth to a quarter of an inch off of each end yeah. uh, before the glue up to remove that rounded corner. But you still, if you're not running it through a planer, that means you have a lot of belt sanding to do. And so I got this handheld electric planer that runs, I really don't know the price, between 30 and 50 bucks. It's really, really affordable. And with two passes uh, at an eighth of an inch per pass, you can totally remove that rounded corner. It's very square because you're referencing that that already square edge. And I was able to just burn through some two by fours before the glue up and get everything ready to go to where once the glue up's done, I just got a little bit of belt sanding to do and it should be all good to go. So I think that could also be a pretty cool video for the second channel. I think I could title it, but I don't have a thickness planner. Mm. Because that's a really common email that I get. So I can just kind of send them that. It gives them the option of a table saw if they have it. And if they don't have the table saw, which once again, that's another tool that you grow into, so I totally understand, um, then here's a under $50 option to achieve basically the same I've, result. I've never used one of those either, um, yeah. but when I saw you use it, I immediately said, I'm coveting that tool. Totally. I'm going to go get one. Totally. Envy. Well, hey man, oh, you one, can borrow it. One more obsession slash shout out, uh, and that's to uh, check out Eric uh, Hasselich. Yes. And his Instagram is cut underscore works, and that's works with W-E-R-X, cut works. Real awesome metal fabricator, welder. Great uh, welder. And Beautiful themes. Really cool, kind of like industrial, modern uh, fabrication stuff. Does a great mix of metal and wood. Yeah. Randomly ran into him in Joshua Tree. Um, and segue to all the people uh, that are listening in the sort of LA, San Diego, California, Southwest area. Um, we got this big rental house, it's relatively empty. We have a hot tub. And property. And property. We got some drones, we got some power tools, and we're going to be throwing some parties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, if you're in the southwestern area and you want to come out for a weekend, or even during the week, yeah. we're, we're pretty much going to be working around the clock, Yep. Um, and want to come hang out for a bit, hit us up on Instagram. So, DM us yeah. uh, on the Modern Maker Podcast Instagram, and uh, stay tuned, and we'll be announcing some hangouts, sort of uh, meetups. And yeah, that's probably the easier way to do it. Just so that like if we can get groups together, uh, yeah. that's probably the way to do it, is like host weekends, right? Yeah. Yeah, that way that way it's not just like a revolving door of distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Because we'll, it's hard to like meet new people and work at the same time, because you no, always want to we'll, get to know each we'll other. We'll always be working. Exactly. But yeah. you want to come and hang out. Totally. Maybe lend a hand. Bring a beer funnel. Bring a beer funnel. <laughs> it's California. Yep. Bring whatever, really. <laughs> totally. So yeah, hit us up and yeah, once get we're, weird. Yeah, we're getting settled in. So come hang out, come teach us something we don't already know. That's Ooh, always welcome. Yeah. yeah. So with that, uh, again, congrats to our missing brother Chris. Yes, big congrats, big congrats. And his son's name is actually Otto. Yeah, we should have said that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure give us a follow on Instagram at Modern Maker Podcast. Also. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're going to put a video up there pretty soon yeah. at the staging wall. We're going to tell you how to up your game and making YouTube videos. Exactly. I think that's what's really cool about having all these content creators is, one, the house is totally dedicated to it, but we can also make content and none of us are very, like, Two, jealous about Two, there's cables it. everywhere. Right. Well, that's the, that's the downside, not like, the there's like Everywhere you step, there's like a USB something. Exactly. <laughs> also a tripod with a camera in every corner. Yes. Exactly. So you can follow us on Instagram at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at iJessup. Give us a follow. Give us some DMs. Give us some comments and some likes. We all love that. Review us on the iTunes app, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Later.